So we're talking about renewing all of the relationships in our lives that are important. So every sermon applies to everybody. We talk about marital relationships a lot because, frankly, that's where a lot of people struggle. And, and so we, we, churches in general tend to talk about marriage a lot. But if you're not married or you're a single person, we're talking about all kinds of relationships today. This stuff applies to everybody. And if you think about the last few years... And everything that's happened in our country, the politics, COVID, you know, remote work, and all of the, the upheaval that we've been going through, is it any wonder that relationships have been strained? If you feel like, man, my relationships are just, they're being pulled apart in some ways, you are not alone in that. There's not something wrong with you, necessarily, that is causing you to feel that way. We're living in a time that is pulling all of our relationships apart. If you think about it, it's amazing that we've made it as far as we have. But uh, in all of these areas, in conflict and communication and connection, we, of course, the stress of life weighs us down. Or, or if you worked in offices and now you're both working in the same room, now you're coworkers, not just uh, spouses. And or if you've gone through theological changes, or you, maybe your political beliefs have changed, or maybe they've just been clarified for you. And then there were people in a church that you used to belong to, or extended family, or adult children, or parents. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, and, and, and now your beliefs kind of clash with theirs. And Thanksgiving dinners are awkward. And that's just, that's something that you can't avoid. It doesn't mean that something is wrong with you. That's the kind of forces that have been pulling our relationships apart. And so, today we're talking about connecting on a deeper emotional level with the people you love. We've talked about conflict resolution and communication, now emotional connection. I will talk quite a bit today about romantic relationships because it, it is a common struggle. But once again, I just wanna make it abundantly clear, this applies to all relationships. So you are included today. Uh, I remember walking into a church one time when I was, I was not married yet and, and they were doing talk about marriage and I thought, you know what, why did I come? I'm not married. And but everybody is included today. So I also want to say we welcome everybody here. We have opposite sex couples here. We have same sex couples here. I'm going to try to use inclusive language and, and we welcome everybody into full participation in this church. And so I just want to make that clear. And because we're a church, we want to follow Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at scriptures today, including a familiar passage about relationships and a, and a passage that has been used perhaps more than any other passage in the New Testament to do damage to relationships and to certain people. So we're going to talk for a few minutes up front about how to interpret the Bible in general. 
And then we're going to talk about how this passage speaks to us about connecting on a deeper emotional level with the people in our lives. So we're going to start by reading a passage that is familiar to you, if you've been around church for a while. Uh, it's a description of marriage that was written in the ancient world in the time of the Roman Empire. And when we read it in 2022, it raises some questions. And so as we read uh, this, this passage, if you feel yourself kind of going, you're normal. That means you're, you're seeing some things here that raise major questions, and that's okay. And we're going to talk about those things. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. You're gonna, some of you are going to instantly recognize what I'm talking about. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That verse often gets left out. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Oh boy. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Anybody going, is that happening yet? We're going to talk about this passage. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her uh, to her uh, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does for the church, and we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So there are some lines in there that raise some red flags, and here's the truth. This passage has been used to keep women in abusive relationships, to say, you know, he, he's obviously mistreating her, he's, he's hitting her, he's calling her names. Well, submit to your husbands, Wives, submit to your husbands. This passage has probably done more damage, or at least it's tied with some others, for passages that have been misused to hurt people throughout history. And so there are people who read the Bible, and they want to follow Jesus, and they want to take the Bible seriously, and they read something that just sounds like it comes out of the ancient world. And it doesn't fit. We have an egalitarian view of marriage in the United States now, where men and women are, and, and uh, men and men, and women and women, and uh, gender, non-binary genders, where we see people on the same level now. And so this passage just doesn't seem to quite fit with that. Now, if you find some of that to be troublesome, there's Ephesians chapter 6. Because right after, after this verse, Ephesians chapter 6 starts, and it starts well enough. I mean, children, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. Okay, great. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't push your children to feeling like they just can't measure up to you. That's great. Very good. But then there's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Let's read, let's read that. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. So this is getting even more troubling now, isn't it? See, there are people who, who say about the Bible, I just read it in the Bible, and I just do what it says. 
You know, I, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. I just do what the Bible says. It's simple. We're a Bible-believing church. Well, Ephesians 6.5 might, ca- might cause a person to question that. There was a, a 12-year-old girl in Alabama last week who escaped from a house where she had been held as a slave. And the police found her walking down the road, and she led them back to the house. They found two dead bodies in the house. And, she, and this is horrible. She had been tied up for an amount of time, and she got loose and escaped. So would a Bible-believing person encounter her walking down the road, and she's trying to get away. She says, please help me. Oh, but thank God I found you. Please help me. I just, I just got away from somebody who's been holding me as a slave. And you say, well, Ephesians 6.5 says, slaves obey your masters. We're a Bible-believing church, honey. Is that, is that what's going to happen? Is that what it means? To believe the Bible. See, what happens here is when, when we actually read the Bible, we discover that interpreting the Bible is more complicated than just reading words on a page and then claiming we do whatever that says. I don't know about Alabama. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the case. But in most states of the country, you go to prison for that as an accomplice in hostage taking. Since Abraham Lincoln, you don't want to quote Ephesians 6.5 in the United States to a slave. Now, there are people who say, well, then the Bible's just ridiculous. And, well, the, the truth is, it was another 1,800 years before slavery began becoming illegal in nations around the world. The author of Ephesians never imagined a world where slavery would be illegal. But yet you also have Christians who, they're well-meaning and they love the Bible and they think they have to defend the Bible. And so they're like, well, you know, slavery wasn't as bad then. And so we, kind of, we talk about good slavery. No, there is no such thing as good slavery. It's just, it's just more complicated when it comes to interpreting the Bible than many act like it is. And, and so we're not going to tell slaves to obey their masters. And so the, 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 ver, the verses, just uh, the few verses before that, talk about wives obeying your husband, submitting to your husband, that kind of thing. So when, when we read something like that, we're not automatically just going to assume that that's God's all-time will and that that's exactly what we should do in 2022 America or that these are the only couples who are included. We, we don't just make those assumptions because interpreting the Bible is more difficult than that. We say here at the well, intelligent people can take the Bible seriously when we interpret it in the light of its historical context. That we don't have to chuck the Bible because of troubling things that come from the ancient world. Views of women, slavery, and so on. Views of people uh, who, who are attracted to the same sex. We don't have to just chuck the Bible. What it means, though, is, and this is incredibly important, that intelligent people can take the Bible seriously when we interpret it in the light of its historical context. And I know we're spending a few minutes on this when we're talking about a deeper emotional connection, but it's so important if you want to gain any kind of guidance from the Bible that we, that we allow the Bible to speak to us thoughtfully and that we handle it reverently and carefully. So as we read these passages about, about love and respect and marriage, we want to know that there are five passages like this in the New Testament. And they're called, by Bible scholars, Greco-Roman household codes. Would you say that with me? Greco-Roman household codes. I watched Sesame Street when I was growing up, and there was always a word of the day. And it would be like blue. It would be the word of the day. The word of the day today here at the well is Greco-Roman household codes. It's incredibly important that we know what these are. 
They are the values, the family values of the Roman Empire. Greco-Roman. It was written during the Roman Empire. The Romans loved Greek culture. Greco. Greco-Roman. And these come specifically from Aristotle's politics and Philo's hypothetica. Works by philosophers that, that describe what they believed was the ideal way of ordering a family in, in the ancient world. And, and the husband was called the pater familius, father of the family. And all of society was organized so that the pater familius was at the top of the, the hierarchy. And these are military terms used here. Under the authority of, it's like a military chain of command. So the pater familius, the father of the family, is at the top, and then the wife, and then the children, and then the slaves. And that's, that was the ideal way of organizing Greco-Roman society, according to the values of the day. And those values find their way into the New Testament because it was written during that time. The Bible, the books of the Bible were not written in a cultural vacuum. They come from the time, the, the authors that produced them. Now, some of you say, well, well God, didn't God inspire the Bible? I would say, yes, I believe that. But it doesn't mean dictation. It doesn't mean God you know, opened their brains and poured words into their minds. Authors, they, they write in different languages. They have different vocabularies. Luke has a different vocabulary from Paul, a different vocabulary from, March, or from, from Mark. In the, New Test, or the Old Testament, sorry, I'm stammering so much here. In the Old Testament, the book of Daniel starts in Hebrew, switches to Aramaic, and then changes back to Hebrew. So if God was dictating, God just like changed languages in the middle of it. It just doesn't make sense when you look at the evidence. And so we want to interpret the Bible in a lot of its historical context. Now here's what happens, though. In the Greco-Roman world, the pater familius had almost all power. He could pretty much do what he wanted. He could abuse his family if he wanted he could, he could get by with that. And of course, he kept slaves. And, and what, the, what the Christian version of the Greco-Roman household code says, it's husbands, pater familius, who has all power, and you can do pretty much whatever you want. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, the church. Don't abuse your power. Give of yourself sacrificially. Wives, respect your husbands. And, and, and so we would agree with some values and other values. We would think, okay, mutual submission in verse 21. Yeah, absolutely. Couple, you know, if, you're, if you're a romantic couple, submit to one another. Beautiful. That's egalitarian in verse 21, but that gets skipped a lot. But what the Christian version of the, the household codes does is it limits the power of the powerful, and it elevates those who have less power, even with slaves. We would not quote Ephesians 6.5, but in its time, said, be kind to your slaves because you both have a master in heaven who's going to judge you both. So in a time in which slavery was legal and nobody ever imagined it would be illegal, the Christian scriptures say, let's, let's, let's move towards equality here, at least in some way. Do you see how that works? And so in its time, it actually pushed forward. It actually pushed toward greater love and respect and equality. We would be going backwards, horribly backwards, if we quoted Ephesians 6.5 now. Or if we told wives to submit to their husbands, I would say. That's backwards. But these scriptures pushed forward 
in their time. And so we believe the Spirit of God is always working and perhaps pushing our society forward as well. And so that's just a quick overview. How do you interpret passages in the Bible that are troubling? If you want to gain something from the Bible about practical things that matter, like your relationships, how do you gain guidance? It looks something like that. Intelligent people can interpret the Bible seriously when we interpret it in the light of its historical context. Does that help at all? Does that make sense? And so as we look at this passage, okay, we have same-sex couples here. We, and of course, this applies to everybody, whether you're married or not. But what can we gain from this passage? We know there's a move towards equality. We know there's a move here towards limiting the power of the powerful and elevating those with less power. That's cool. We'll take that. And then perhaps we can, we can gain something from these words, love and respect. And what I'm going to say today, coming from this scripture, is the foundation for a deeper emotional connection with anybody in our lives, including significant others, is love and respect. To love and respect one another. So it's interesting here, the husband is told to love his wife, and once again, you could substitute any, any kind of relationship there. And the wife's told to respect her husband. She's not told to love her husband. She's told to respect him. It's interesting. But in the original Greek, love is the word agape. Many of you probably know that. It's self-giving, sacrificial love. It's the ultimate love that anybody would find inspiring. It means to give of yourself to benefit somebody else. That kind, of, that kind of love is incredibly powerful. And then the word for respect here is interesting, though. It's the Greek word phobeo, phobeo, like phobia. And so there's even a connection to like the word fear. And respect isn't powerful of, of enough of a word. Actually, in the original passage, what it, what it means is the woman is, is to be in awe of her husband. Can I get an amen from all the guys here? She's supposed to be in awe of her husband. That's the word respect here, phobeo, to be in awe. Right? Doesn't that just feel good, you know? And so love and respect, agape, self-giving love, acting in a way that gives of yourself to benefit somebody else, and then respect to be in awe of this person. Well, we know this passage in its historical context push forward towards greater equality and mutual submission, it says in verse 21. So maybe we could apply these these words both ways. Maybe we could say whatever your relationship is look like, looks like, if it's a husband and wife, husband, husband, wife, wife, or if it, you're thinking of a friendship and it's not necessarily a marriage, but how can these values help you have a deeper emotional connection with anybody in your life? Love and respect can go both ways. Agape love, giving of oneself for the benefit of another person and then respect to be in awe of each other. I get to have a relationship with this person, to be in awe with them. Perhaps that's the foundation of a deeper emotional connection. So I just wanted to elaborate uh, on you know, what these words can mean, what it, especially agape, what it can look like to give of yourself. And I, I found this video, this is really cute, and I wanted to share it. Last week I showed cat photos, so I kind of wanted to level the playing field and do something with dogs this week. I want to be you know, fair in, in the church. And so there's this little girl named Autumn, who lives in Mechanicsville, Maryland, and she rides a school bus every day. And, uh, you know, kids have to carry their heavy backpacks around, and she has a really long driveway. And so her dog, Cody, is a retriever, and, and Cody meets Autumn at the end of her driveway every day at the school bus when the school bus drops her off and carries her backpack 
up the long driveway to the house. I, I, I love it. Let's watch. sweet. This is going to get you right here. Nobody shows agape like God and dogs. Is that true? I have a buddy who's a, a you know, dog lover, and he said, there's a reason dog is just God spelled backwards. And you just see how sweet that is to carry the weight, like the song we sang earlier, I'll carry your weight, you carry mine. There's the old U2 song, one. He goes, we get to carry each other. And you, so agape, that's why I don't sing in the church, by the way. Agape, respect, that I'm willing to carry something for you. I give of myself. I, I have the sense of awe that I get to have a relationship with you. And, and so I choose to love, meaning I choose to give of myself to help to carry your weight, to lighten your load. And then in a, in a healthy, functioning relationship, they say, yeah, I'll carry yours too. You'll carry mine. And it's a picture of agape and respect. And when we think about connecting on a deeper level emotionally with the people in our lives. The reason that, that that can become difficult, the reason that we even have to talk about it, is because over time, we all go through things like we all have in society, stressful things, pulling us apart, the, the politics, the, you know, the COVID lockdown, financial stress, misunderstandings, miscommunication, Breaches of trust, uh, arguments where we were hurt. One person feels like they have to win, and you're the person who always feels like you're on the losing end. The stresses of life, right? Just all of these things pile up over time. And, and they, they are like, like clutter in a room, just things being strewn around the room, and they don't get picked up. And so you try to... You try to cross the room to the other person and connect with them on a deeper emotional level, but then you trip over something there. You remember this thing that happened and it caused you pain and your brain says, don't touch that hot stove burner again. You got hurt. Remember last time you did this? You trusted him and you got hurt? And you try to move closer together and then you, you stub your toe on something. Remember that time they said something that was really hurtful? Don't open yourself to be vulnerable like that again. Maybe they don't deserve it. You know, and, then, and then you try to get closer to them again and you trip over something else. And, and these things, they pile up in our lives like clutter in a room and they keep us from being able to freely share agape or feel a sense of awe. Some of us, you know, we laugh. I, I'm going to be in awe of this person. Like, yeah, right. Like, it, because there's just so much clutter, so much stuff, baggage that's in the way. And then... And then Further defining these words, agape and respect, is the foundation for a deeper emotional connection. Of course, the famous, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, defines agape like this. And you think of all the ways that you could define love. Love is passionate. Love is hot. 
Love is romantic. Love is like fire. What does it say? Love is patient. <laughs> First Corinthians 13. Love is, doesn't, doesn't that just kind of stink? This is the very first word in Paul's famous definition of love. Love is patient. Man, that's not, you know, that's, ugh, patient. And the next, love is kind. Now, once again, you can't have a relationship with somebody who doesn't want to have a relationship with you. If the clutter, if the baggage is because somebody really doesn't care, or they are abusing you in some way, or they're neglecting you, you can't have a relationship with somebody who doesn't want to have a relationship with you. So I'm not just, I'm not making this a simplistic, black and white, easy, uh, you know, sermon where I just think that you can fix everything. I think we can fix a lot of stuff, more than we think probably. But not every relationship can be fixed. But when we think about all of the things that make it hard for us to, uh, to show agape love, to give of ourselves, or to be in awe of that person, we think about all that clutter in the way. When Paul defines love, he says, first, love is patient. Oh, boy. Love is kind. And then the rest of the, the scripture, it does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. There's respect, honoring, being in awe, holding that person in high esteem. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Here's a tough one. It keeps no record of wrongs. All that clutter. That at some point, if we're going to have a deeper emotional connection with somebody, we've got to do something with that clutter. And the only way to move clutter in the real world of relationships, including very painful clutter, is forgiveness. We talked about that last week. If you missed that, please watch that sermon. Because forgiveness doesn't mean that anybody can do whatever they want, and you just have to let it go. That's not what forgiveness means. But that's the only way of keeping no record of wrongs and moving that clutter out of the way. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So agape and phobeo, love and respect. And, and, and I'm going to move in, in just a second here. I'm going to move into a list of things we can do now built on love and respect to create that deeper emotional connection in our lives. But I want to talk about the importance of this. And once again, you could apply this to any relationship. I have a buddy who was married for several years to all, everybody would say an attractive, smart woman who had a lot going for her, and their relationship was rocky for a long time, and, and they divorced after several years of marriage and two kids. And I know him well, and ultimately, the reason that he filed for divorce was that he felt like she didn't respect him. And over the years, the clutter built up, and they were not able to get that clutter out of the way. And he felt like she didn't respect him, and he met somebody who he felt like did respect him. And it sticks out to me so much. And you, once again, you could apply this vice versa. It doesn't matter the man, woman, or, or two people of the same sex. It doesn't matter. She, by all accounts, is an attractive, smart catch with a lot going for her. Any, any person attracted to women would look at her and say, wow, you know, she's, she's doing well. 
And he ended that relationship because he felt like she didn't respect him. And so looks, there are some people who assume looks will get you by. Or having certain qualities or, you know, nobody's going to ditch me. You're like, you know, I, I can treat people however I want. I, maybe I won't show love and respect. You know, I, I don't feel like it or, what, you know, all the reasons. And, and that, those things may not get you by. And I just think of that story because he's with somebody now who he feels respects him. And you could, you could turn it the other way. I mean, there are lots of women who don't feel respected by their husbands or people who are of the same sex in a relationship and they don't feel respected by the other person. It just highlights to me the importance of taking love and respect seriously because we can always put it on the other person and say, well, they need to love and respect me. But that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about not your, not your spouse or not your friend or not this other person, but who are we? What can we do? And the foundation of what we can do to create a deeper emotional connection with the people in our lives, are, it's love and respect. Do I give love? Do I give of myself to love somebody? Do I choose to see the good and be in awe of that person, even if it sounds ridiculous because of where you are in your relationship? That's what love and respect looks like. So as we get into these now in the rest of the sermon, there's practical ways we can form that deeper connection. I just want to be very plain. If you're married, I'm not talking to your spouse right now. <laughs> it's because I'm going to say some things, and, and we all do this. I've done it. We've all done it. Yeah, I wish my spouse would do that to connect with me. But we're not talking about your spouse. We're talking to you. And if it's your friend, we're talking to you. We're not talking about your friend. We're talking to you. Now, once again, you can't have a relationship with everybody. You can't have a relationship with somebody who's abusing you or lying to you or neglecting you. So if that's you, if you're being mistreated, get out. I'm not telling you to, well, it's all on you now, and so you be, you be nice to the person who's, who's abusing you. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about relationships where that's not happening, and the relationship is salvageable, and there can be a closer connection, we think. I just want to make it plain. We're not talking about the other person. We're talking to you. We're talking to me in my relationship. So... In my research for this sermon, you can find resources all over the place for how to uh, develop a deeper connection with with the people in your lives. Um, Research based on scientific studies we're going to look at here, Uh, advice columns, um, marriage websites, uh, any kind of relationship websites that's reputable. And so I, I studied as many of these as I possibly could, and I've distilled what I read into five things that we can do to develop a deeper emotional connection with the people that we love based on love and respect. But here are five practical ways of living that out. And some from my own experience too. Some things that I've had to learn the hard way. And so I want to share those with you based on love and respect. So if you're a note taker, we're going to list five things here. The first, if you want to develop a deeper emotional connection with the people you love, could be spouse, could be friend, could be anybody else, Tune in. Tune in to your own emotions. And this is to become aware of your own emotions. You cannot connect emotionally with somebody else if you are not emotionally connected with yourself. For some of you, we just nailed what the issue is. Because whether it sounds cliche or not, I used to think, oh, this is just like psychobabble. Stuff, this doesn't have anything to do with me. Guess what? People who say that kind of thing, 
It has everything to do with them. I, I've learned that the hard way. If you are not able to be in touch enough with your own emotions, to know this is how I feel and why, this is how I feel right now. I can name my emotions. I know how I feel, and I know why I feel that way. You will not be able to emotionally connect with the people in your life. You might be the last person on earth who realizes that. They might know it really well already, that you're just not in touch. Your head and your heart don't communicate. There's a, there's a block there somewhere. Something has happened, and you've learned it as, as a defense mechanism in life. You've been a survivor, and you've learned to kind of shut off your emotions to where you could not answer the question, how do you feel right now, and why? How do I know? Because I've been there. I've told this story before, but so many of you are new, you, you haven't heard it before. Uh, right after my wife and I got married in 2008, we just celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary, Right after we got married in 2008, we both immediately started master's programs. Don't ever do that if you just got married. It was a terrible decision. But one good thing that came out of that was that my master's program, seminary, to be a pastor, required a year of counseling. First year, you know, first year in the master's program, everybody's got to go through counseling. And it was an amazing experience in my life. And early on in, in the counseling, the, the therapist said to me, well, how do you feel right now? And I was in my early 30s. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this. This is what happened. I sat on the couch and I said, um, what do you mean? <laughs> said, how do you feel right now? Like, what are your emotions? And I'm like, uh, hmm, hmm, let me think about that. Hmm. I was not able to answer her question. This is not a good pastor story. This is the truth. I was not able to answer her question. How do I feel right now? Hmm. I guess I don't know. And she's probably thinking, oh, this poor guy. And, and, and so she gave me homework. She handed me a sheet of paper with feeling words on it. And there were columns like happy, sad, <laughs> uh, you know, angry, whatever. And then underneath... There were more descriptive, increasingly descriptive emotion words, like you know, forlorn, <laughs> cheerful, right? Just going across the, the columns of the page. And she said, I'm just going to give you some homework. Whenever you can this week, whether you're, you're stopped at a red light or you're, you're at home, put them in the mirror, the bathroom, whatever, whatever works for you, as often as you can, I want you to just kind of stop what you're doing during the day and ask yourself, how do I feel right now and why? And look at this, this page and pick a word. From I felt like a first grader. It was like, see, spot, jump. You know, I am happy. And pick a word that describes the way you feel. And then once you feel like you have a word there, ask yourself, why do I feel this way? I mean, I was in my 30s. So... The next day, I was driving to work, and I had this sheet, and at the red light, maybe not safe to do this, but at the red light, I had the sheet, and I was, I was looking at the, the, the words. By the third red light, I was in tears. Because I, as I read these words, I realized, oh, that's how I feel. 
And then I started thinking, okay, why do I feel that way? Well, this happened. And I was like, well, that's not the first time I felt like this. When have I felt like this before? And, and I'm, I'm dead serious. By the third red light, I'm like going back years. Thinking about all the times I've felt that way. And where that came from. What's the first time I felt like this? And I'm in tears at the third red light. Just labeling my feelings, being able to, and I, I, again, I felt like I was a first grader. It was a really humbling, embarrassing thing. But being able to look at words and name, this is how I feel and why I feel that way. You cannot, you have no hope of emotionally connecting with somebody else if you can't connect with your own emotions. That's step one. How do you love and respect somebody else? I mean, you, you got to know what's going on in your own heart first before you can feel anything with anybody else. And so it starts there to tune into your own emotions. And then as you do that, as you exercise that muscle of tuning in, you will naturally start to find yourself being able to name the emotions you see. This is, this is how beautiful and powerful this is. You'll be able to name the emotions you see in other people, including your loved ones. I feel this way and I think they feel this way. And now, oh, all of a sudden, you're able to name your emotions and theirs because you've tuned in. The second is trust. Trust is essential for any relationship. You can't have a relationship without trust. Without trust, you can't go any farther on the list. You tune into your own emotions, and then, and then you run into this massive uh, milestone of do we trust? Do I trust this person? Maybe you've been hurt in the past. And it's hard to trust. It's hard to get past all that clutter in the room and walk closer to each mother. Maybe this person has violated your trust. Once again, you can't have a relationship with everybody. There are reasons that a relationship won't work. If the person is continuing the behavior that violated your trust, the relationship's not going to work. You can't trust somebody who is continuing to do the things that violated trust. In infidelity... Nobody would, well, nobody's sane would fault you if that ends the relationship. Jesus said that. You can, that's grounds for divorce. If you decided that you wanted to save it, the person has to stop before you can trust them and make it clear and make it verifiable that there's no guesswork involved here. There's no where you're just insecure. No, there's, there should be no guesswork. And then you can decide if you want to rebuild trust or not. Maybe the hurt in your relationship wasn't that extreme, but there, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. All these little things have happened and they've built up this clutter over time and it's hard to trust. Well, if they've stopped the behavior that violated the trust, then you can decide now whether you want to trust or not. And just a little tidbit, I've learned a lot of arguments, whether it's marriage or any other kind of relationship, a lot of arguments are really just a hundred different ways of saying this. I don't trust you to be emotionally safe for me to have a relationship with. You always do this. You never do this. Well, I'm so sick of the way you do this and blah, blah, blah. And I remember when you did this. Those are all just translations. All just different ways of getting around making the statement, I don't trust you to be a safe place for me. And in, 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 my, 
emotions. I need to trust you, but I don't feel like I can trust you. I don't feel like I can be myself around you and be vulnerable with you and get past all that clutter because I don't feel like I can trust you. Now, if the person has stopped the behavior, or if you you at least want to talk with them and try to get them to stop the behavior that violated your trust, this is what's really hard. This might be the hardest thing in the whole in the whole process. You have to choose whether or not you trust that person. You may not be sure you can. This is the hard part. But if, if the, the, the behavior has stopped, okay, I've verified the behavior stopped. Now it's a question, will this person do it again or am I safe or will they hurt me again? Now the choice comes. Am I willing to choose to trust that person again and give them a shot? Am I willing to give them a chance to regain my trust? That we can slowly, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to bend down and move this, this box out of the way that time that you said this. I'm going to move that box out of the way. I'm going to take a step closer to you. And it may be that they say the same thing to you. Okay, well, you hurt me like this one time. And you might be like, oh, okay. I guess I did. And they'll bend down and they'll move that old cardboard box out of the way. And then you, you very gingerly say, okay, well, I'm going to choose to trust you enough. I'm going to move this old piece of clutter out of the way. And I'm going to choose to take another, take another step closer to you. And they'll do the same thing. And if you can choose to trust, Paul said, love always trusts. Agape love, it, it trusts. It keeps no record of wrongs. If you will both do that, then you can meet in the middle of the room in one another's embrace. This stuff's not easy, is it? I'm not, I'm not the kind of pastor who pretends like, oh, it's just simple, just do this. But that's what it looks like. That's the, the nasty, painful process of deciding whether I can have a deeper emotional connection with this person. Agape always trusts. If, if it's verifiable, if the person's no longer breaking the trust, and you can verify that, okay, now I can choose, can I trust them that they're going to do better from now on? All right, tune in, trust. The third is time. Time. Uh, I shared a couple of weeks ago that my wife Hannah and I have gone to marital counseling in two different stints throughout our marriage. We, we started master's programs. Um, then we had our first child. Then we moved out here to start a brand new church from scratch. And then finances were always an issue. Like our marriage has always been in this high stress environment where there, we always put ourselves in, in environments where there were forces pulling us apart. Just probably biting off more than we can chew, but trying to do big things, trying to accomplish important things with our lives. And it felt like a pressure cooker a lot of times. And those forces pulled on our marriage. And as we you know, got into marriage counseling and counselors started sharing things like this, the same stuff I'm sharing with you, one of the points a counselor made one time was, was this. They said, as, as unromantic as un, and, and as unsexy as this sounds, you guys are going to have to schedule time to spend with each other. You guys are going to have to, and this sounds, this sounds silly to some people, you guys are going to have to schedule a check-in time after the kids go to bed where you sit down on the couch and it's like, okay, it's 10 o'clock. 
it's time to check in. How are you doing? How was your day? And, and just start there, almost like looking at the feelings list. You know, just almost elementary small steps. Because you guys, you're so busy, that gets pushed out of the way and you're like two ships passing in the night. You're going to have to intentionally schedule time. Maybe that's another word of the day. Intentionally schedule time. It's not going to happen by accident. The forces that pull us apart are too powerful. They're going to take time away from you. You have to intentionally schedule time. A daily check-in time. If If you're talking about you know, a really close, uh, significant relationship with friends. It might be scheduling a, week, a weekly check-in time, whatever it looks like for you. Maybe a monthly date night needs to be put on the calendar. But time is important. You tune in and then you trust, and now there's going to there's have to be time. And then the fourth thing, which flows right into, uh, time flows right into it. The counselor said, when you, when you spend time with each other, you need to talk. You know, how hard does this list sound, Right? I mean, but this can be incredibly, incredibly difficult. You guys need to talk. And here's what talking means. It means I am willing to show agape and phobeo to you as we talk. I'm willing to talk with you in such a way that I am willing to give of myself. I love you and I'm making the choice to give of myself sacrificially to benefit you. That's agape love. So when we're talking and I'm showing agape love to you, that means I am listening to you. This is so hard for me because I think I'm listening sometimes and I'm not really listening. I'm not hearing what's really being said. That's part of my own journey. In, in connecting on a deeper emotional level with my wife and with other people to really listen. My brain's always going and, and I'm thinking of response and I think, I think talking about things sometimes I have to win or an argument, I have to win. And so listening, talking to somebody in a way that shows agape and phobeo to them, love and respect means listening to them and even verifying, did I hear you correctly? And as you're talking with them, you're thinking, how do I feel right now and Why? And what emotion do I see in my friend or my spouse right now? What emotion are they feeling? This is, this is not easy. This is a skill. Talking sounds so simple. And then, and then as they say something, I mean, this is hard. As they say something, I want to respect that person. I want to show phobeo to this person. Awe. That I appreciate this person to the point of I'm in awe that I get to have a relationship with them. That's hard. If you're, if you're disconnected, am I making the choice to show agape and phobeo to this person? I'm in awe that I get to have a relationship with you. I'm, I'm giving of myself in a way that benefits you as we talk. In my listening, in my view towards you, I'm lucky to have you in my life. Phobeo. I hold you in high esteem. As, as you talk, as you say things that might be difficult for me to hear, I'm making the choice and I'm going to listen because of agape and phobeo. And I'm not going to easily write you off or easily walk away from this relationship because I have phobeo. I'm in awe that I get to have a relationship with you. You see how this works? It's not just as simple as saying, oh, we need to talk. No, but love and respect are the foundation. There was a study conducted in 1997 about how we were going to wrap it up soon, about how we uh, 
fall in love and build intimacy with other people. And uh, they measured the feelings of closeness between participants. And these are strangers who didn't know each other. Strangers off the street participating in this study. And the two people sat face to face who had never met each other. And they asked each other 36 increasingly personal questions. And you can find them on the internet now as the 36 questions that lead to love. You might want to Google that. If you want to connect with somebody at a deeper level, the 36 questions that lead to love. And then after answering these questions with each other, they were told to stare into each other's eyes for four minutes. <laughs> these people didn't know each other. Uh, incredibly. After the study, it took about 45 minutes for each uh, couple, there were new friendships formed. There were people who became, who became great friends. Two of the participants got married. They were complete strangers. And they went through this study. And they found that when you are connecting with anybody, spouse, friend, anybody else, what is most important in that connection is talking to that person in an open and vulnerable way, which involves tuning into your own emotions, which involves trust, which involves time, which involves talking, and eye contact. That you share of yourself in a way that shows compassion, love, respect in the, t- towards that other person, they do the same to you, and you make eye contact together. There was a study linked to it that scanned people's brains, and they found that in, in people who are uh, they've newly fallen in love, the, what happens in their brain is the, the, the chemical dopamine, the feel-good chemical, just sprays all over their brains. And that chemical causes them to feel good when they're around that person and excited and it's easy to love and respect them. But then what happens is, and, and, and it masks negative behaviors, like that person chews with their mouth open. Like, you're like, oh, I'm in love. It doesn't matter. He's so cute. Because the dopamine is just being sprayed all over your brain. But then over time, just because life happens, stuff happens, the dopamine hits decrease and you start seeing all the person's flaws. And so he went from, isn't he so cute, to, oh, that's just a dude who chews with his mouth open. When when we're off the drug of dopamine. But they discovered that by activities like this, sitting down and talking in in an open, trusting, emotionally tuned in way and making eye contact actually caused dopamine to, to start to be distributed to various parts of the brain. Again, they found that there were people who had been married for 25 or 30 years who said they're still in love and they're still getting that dopamine hit because they are, and they, why? They studied why. They're doing these things that we're talking about. They're tuning into each other. They're sitting down. They're trusting. They're talking. They're keeping things exciting. They're keeping things spiced up. They're, they're just growing together. They're experiencing new things together. So talking and then finally touch, and we're going to wrap it up. This is appropriate physical touch. If we're talking about friends, it could be a hug. It could be a pat on the back. If we're talking about a significant other, it's not always sexual touch. Of course, sexual touch is important, but it's not always sexual touch. It could be a hand on the shoulder. It could be holding hands. It could be an embrace. But touch is important. Physical touch is, is literally connecting physically with somebody. It's, it's, the, it's the outward sign of connecting with that person inwardly. We're going to take communion here in a minute. Communion is a way of touching, symbolically, the body and blood of Christ. 
It's a way of connecting with Christ through physical touch. And, and depending on the relationship, of course, appropriate levels of physical touch are important. So you tune into your own emotions. You can connect with your own so you can connect with somebody else's. You choose to trust. If the relationship is at a place where it can be saved and if the person has stopped behavior that violated trust, you can both move that clutter out of the way as you choose to trust and walk toward each other. You spend time together. You schedule intentionally time to spend with each other. As as ridiculous as it sounds, at 10 o'clock tonight, we're going to chat and check in. You can pull questions off the internet. A counselor told us that one time. Why don't you guys get some uh, questions off the internet, like get to know you questions. She said, you're going to have to be intentional. It's not going to happen by accident. Do you want to reconnect? Well, then this is, these are the kinds of things you do. And then talking, but talking in a way that expresses agape and phobia, love and respect, and making eye contact with one another, and then touch. And once again, it takes two. Maybe you want to, maybe you want to connect, and you could express to this person, I, you know, I want to connect with you on a deeper emotional level. And maybe they'll say that back and maybe they won't. But if they do, then you can go through these steps together. And you could experience a level of beautiful connection that maybe you didn't even think was possible. I'm going to close with this story and we're going to take communion. This is a picture of love and respect. Garrett Kell was a guy who was engaged uh, to a woman named Carrie in 2007. He lives in the south and, and in, a, in a wooded area. And he had cleared a bunch of brush. And he's getting ready to burn this brush. And he poured gasoline on it. And it exploded in his face, covering his body with second and third degree burns. I have a picture of, of him in the hospital. And he and Carrie were 56 days away from their wedding. And I first heard about him on Twitter in, in 2018 when he tweeted this. And I have, a, I have a screenshot of his tweet, actually. He wrote, 11 years ago today, I was burning brush and gasoline exploded covering 12% of my body with second and third degree burns. Carrie and I were 56 days from our wedding. I told her I understood if she didn't want to marry me anymore. Then he writes, she sent wedding invitations from the burn center, I see you. Just a great picture of love. Agape, Fabeo, and here they are today. He's a pastor and they both look great, don't they? And they look happy and they're thankful for their decision. In his tweet, you can, I mean, you can hear the agape and phobeo he has for his wife because she had it for him in one of his worst moments. Now, a sermon is a broadcast. You might be in a relationship where it's difficult to reconnect. I'm not making it a simple black and white thing. This may be the most gut-wrenching thing you've ever done to go to somebody and say, I want to have a deep connection with you. I need you. I, I, I want you in my life. And I want to have a deeper connection with you. I love this meme. It's a meme I saw recently, the importance of small steps. You see that ladder on the right? And you, 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 I just can't do this. Well, the ladder on the left shows the importance of small steps. And so maybe an action step this week is which one of the five T's is something you could at least try this week to tune in, trust, schedule time intentionally to talk with Fobeo and, and Agape or to touch. If you just picked one action step, well, out of the five T's, with love and respect is the foundation. Maybe that could be a small step to connect emotionally on a deeper level with the people you love. We're going to take communion now. I appreciate your patience in a long sermon today. And as we said, communion is a way of, of physically connecting with Christ. 
And, and as we take communion, Jesus tells us the greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you love God? Well, you love your neighbor. Your neighbor's everybody, including you know, the people we want to connect with. And so communion for us, it's a, it's a way of us experiencing touch, a tangible connection with Jesus, but it's also a reminder that we want to live in community, communion with other people. We want to connect with them. And so as we take communion, it means both of those things to us today. And so on the night he was betrayed, Jesus shared a meal with his disciples. He took the bread, he thanked God for it, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you as often as you eat it, remember me. Let's let's eat of the bread right now. The same way he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins as often as you drink it. Remember me. Let's drink from the cup. I invite you to pray with me. Oh God, that act that we just did was a tangible way of touching Jesus Christ. And by participating in a Jesus way of living, his death and resurrection. Oh God, we see in Jesus agape love, giving of oneself for the benefit of somebody else. The ultimate example for us as as Christians, Jesus giving of himself on the cross for us. The ultimate example of agape love. We hear in the words of institution for communion, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness. Oh, there's that word. It doesn't mean trust. It doesn't mean excusing. It may not even mean forgetting. It means I let that person off the hook. I free them from paying the penalty and I free myself from bitterness. We see in a Jesus way the importance of forgiveness. Giving of oneself, agape, phobeo. Being willing to step down and, and clear, start to clear that clutter out of the way and move closer to the people that we've been distanced from. Communion is an illustration of what we're talking about, a deeper connection with the people in our lives. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that as we grow closer to you and we connect with Jesus in a Jesus kind of life of of agape and phobeo, it can help us to reconnect with the people closest to us. In Jesus' name, everybody said.